0: If you're willing to pray for the Guatemala team by name, I'd encourage you to pick up one of these, kind of an update on our whole missionary family. And uh, if you're not familiar with any of these people, uh, I'd encourage you to take some time to, you know, uh, we have some extra missions uh, bulletin things in the office that you could pick up and uh, familiarize yourself with uh, our missionary family. There's always things going on in, uh, you know, the different places where our, our missionaries are serving. And so I know they appreciate our prayer support. So um, somebody told me about this um, Jewish businessman out in Chicago who thought um, that it was time for his son to take a trip to the Holy Land and understand his culture and his roots. And so he sent his son off to the Holy Land and his son came back and he sat down and he asked his son, well, how was the trip? And the son said, oh, it was fabulous. It was great. I loved it. He said, but... You need to know, I became a Christian while I was over there in Israel. And uh, the father says, oy vey, what have I done, you know? And uh, so he calls up his friend Jacob. And uh, Jacob, it turns out, he calls him and he says to Jacob, You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I sent my son to Israel. I wanted him to understand our history, our roots. And he came back as a Christian. And Jacob says, You know, funny thing, you should mention that. He said, I sent my son to Israel and he came back a Christian. Boy, they, says, what's going on in the homeland? And so uh, the two of them talk together, and they're like, you know what? We better go talk to the rabbi, figure out what to do. So they call the rabbi. They go meet with the rabbi. And the rabbi says, you know, funny thing you should mention this. I sent my son to Israel, and he came back, a Christian. So the three of them are talking, and finally they decide, you know, we should pray. We should talk to God about this. And so they start to pray. And all of a sudden, they hear a voice from heaven. And God says, funny thing you should mention that. I sent my son to Israel. (laughs) Okay, so we're talking about the part of Romans that's right in the heart of the book about how God is relating to Israel through Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all about God's relationship to Israel, and especially through Jesus Christ. And this morning, we finally come to Romans chapter 10, which is right in the center. Romans 9, I hope uh, you've gathered by now, is all about God's choice of the race of Jewish people, the nation of Israel, to reveal himself, to help the whole world understand his glory and what he's really like, and especially through sending... Jesus Christ, the Messiah, through the Jewish people, salvation, God's greatest blessing to the whole world, uh, comes through the Jewish people, uh, by God's sovereign choice. And so chapter 10 now is about the Jewish people's response to Jesus. Uh, And Paul has already said that they tripped over the stumbling stone, about the refusal to believe in the person of the Messiah, Their rejection of Jesus Christ. So God's election and his purpose was for all Israel. Right? And the Apostle Paul lines up with God's desire in verse 1. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved. In the very last book of the Old Testament, the very last chapter, one of the very last things that God says in the whole Old Testament is this. Remember the decrees and laws I gave to Moses at Horeb for all Israel. All Israel. That was God's desire. And Paul winds up the same way. He says, oh, my desire is that all the Israelites would embrace the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And um, Paul's concern is for their salvation. It's God's ultimate gift to us. Salvation through faith in his son, Jesus But only a remnant of Israel believed. Only a percentage of the nation of Israel believed. Everything in Israel's past in dealing with God all through the Old Testament pointed to Christ. But only a remnant believed. If you take your Bibles and just keep your finger in Romans 10 and go all the way back to um, Exodus chapter 12, when the people were still, you know, in Egypt and God was uh, releasing them, you might remember the whole story of the Passover And how God said, you know, you've got to kill a lamb and you've got to put the blood on the doorpost and then the angel of death will pass over and the firstborn in your household will not die. All of that pointing to Christ and to the ultimate sacrifice of the lamb in the future. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel, tell everybody in Israel. That on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Uh, Verse 6, take care of those lambs until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Okay? Uh, Verse uh, 21, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. It was going to be this sacrifice that would cause the angel of death to pass over the households of the people of the people of Israel and kill the firstborn of all the people, you know, in uh, Egypt. And so here's a clear, you know, foreshadowing of the person of Christ. Uh, But look, verse seven, uh, they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And then in verse 22, uh, take a branch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, put some of the blood on the top, both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe. He will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance It's not a one-time shot. This is something that's pointing all the way to the sacrifice of Christ. And um, it's so important, I think, to understand this. Uh, but here's the deal. The blood of that sacrifice was not effective until it was applied to the doorposts. The fact that the lamb was slaughtered wasn't enough. It had to be applied. The blood had to be applied in order for the angel of death to pass over. You had to believe the word of God and act by faith in applying the blood in order for you to avoid the death that was coming upon Egypt. And I want to suggest to you the same thing is true with Jesus, that God's living word, Jesus, uh, God's final word, according to Hebrews chapter 1, um, Needs to be believed, and applied, and received, and embraced by faith, and responded to uh, accordingly. Uh, Only a remnant of Jewish people believed. And so, the same thing is true, that Jesus comes into the world for all people, but not all people believe. The sacrifice is good for all people. But the application by faith to grab a hold of it only applies to those who believe but i want to just um... i want to kind of do a a rant through scripture if you will um, because i just think that this is sometimes misunderstood and so in john chapter one you remember john the baptist was there he sees jesus coming and he says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of what the world the whole world is in mind the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world in John chapter 3 and verse 14, um, here's what we read. Just as Moses lifted up the snake out in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because he's not believed in the name of God's only son. Uh, John chapter 7, Jesus is at the... um, Uh, The ultimate feast, you remember? And uh, verse 37, on the last day, the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stands and he says in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, streams of living water will flow from within him. Whoever believes, Jesus came into the world for all people. In Romans chapter 1, you remember when we were in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and then for the Gentile. For everyone who believes, both Jew and Gentile. Christ came into the world for all people. In First um, ah, Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. Uh, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What does God want? He wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. In um, chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. And in 2 Peter, I uh, just, you know, kind of doing a little dance through scriptures here. and. In in Second Peter, uh, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some people understand slowness, but he's patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. Every starfish on the beach, God's desire is that they would be saved. Uh, First John 2, 2, this is an interesting passage. I've often come back to this. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin... Not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Who did Jesus die for on the cross? A specific number of people or for all the sins of all the people in all the world? First John 2.2. First John 4. Uh, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. and We have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world the entire world. And the very last, the very last chapter of the Bible, last book of the Bible, last chapter of the Bible, last thing God says before he warns us not to mess with scripture, the spirit and the bride say come. And let him who hears say come. Whoever, whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take of the free gift of the water of life. God sent his son through Israel for the world. That whoever might come to embrace him and believe him and trust him, uh, would be saved. Why, then, is not the whole world saved? Why are not all people saved? Why does the Bible talk about, you know, hell? Why does the Bible talk about people, you know, who don't end up in his embrace and who don't embrace the Savior? And I'm going to say because a Savior provided is not sufficient. That Savior needs to be embraced by faith. And everywhere the Bible talks about salvation being by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, A Savior provided is not sufficient. He needs to be received, and he's received by faith. Salvation is accepting this gift of infinite value that God has given to us. Uh, The jailer asked Paul, you know, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And so, again, I would suggest to you that Israel is the example to the whole world. God chose a relationship with Israel, chose this race of people uh, all through history, and sought to reveal himself uh, through the nation of Israel. And Israel, as an example to the world, I would say to you, what Israel did wrong is still what the majority of the world does wrong today. Uh, Back in uh, John's Gospel, again, Um, here's, here's what the Bible says. John chapter 1, you're probably familiar with these words. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. The world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own. He created it. It was his own. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own people did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of the living God. How do you become a child of God? Through faith, through belief, through receiving Jesus Christ. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, on the basis of faith and receiving Jesus Christ. And so, Romans chapter 10 and uh, verse 2, I think, is such a key verse in our understanding. And I bet you know people who fit this verse. Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Paul says, I can testify about the Jewish people that they are zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. That's such a sad verse. I bet you know people who are zealous for God, who are passionate for God. But the issue is righteousness, and the righteousness is not had by our own efforts. And the zeal of the Jewish people is not based on knowledge. Just think about how many different religions there are. Think about the zeal behind religion. Think about 9-11 and what motivated that whole thing. Think about people who take a year off and, you know, uh, come knocking on your door to share their message. Think of the zeal, the passion but not according to knowledge. And it's so important, you know, to ask the question, is it true? Think of the apostle Paul. He was crazy zealous until he met Christ. And it changed everything. He was zealous against the church, but it wasn't according to knowledge. It wasn't according to the truth. And so don't be fooled by zeal or sincerity or passion because there is no substitute for truth. God has revealed himself through Israel He's revealed himself through the scriptures. He's revealed himself through his spirit. He's revealed the truth about who he is. People are sincerely wrong all the time. Uh, I would submit to you that every religion in the world is different from Christianity on this point. Every religion in the world is about works and making yourself good enough to be able to be acceptable to your perception of God. Every cult of every sort of Christian cult is about adding some kind of works to the work of Christ as if what Jesus did on the cross is not sufficient yes we believe in Jesus but in addition to that we have to do X Y and Z and uh, every Christian cult is based on that addition which negates really what Christ did and what the truth of the the Word of God uh, reveals and so uh, again what what you do um, In Christianity is because of the salvation that God has given you freely in Christ, and it's a response It's not an effort to earn, you know any kind of points with God It's because God has provided it for us, and so there is a way to be right with God verses 3 and 4 in Romans chapter 10 since the Jewish people did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought the righteousness uh, and sought to establish their own righteousness they did not submit that's a key word they did not submit to the righteousness of god it's about righteousness it's about being right with god and uh... and and so there's two ways basically right there's god's way and there's man's way and since the jewish people did not know the righteousness that comes from god and sought to establish their own they didn't submit to god's righteousness christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Again, this uh, privileged status of Israel was in order that God might send a savior to the rest of the world through Israel. And the way to salvation, the way to God's righteousness is through submission, provided this righteousness, God provided through uh, to the whole world through Christ. God's righteousness in Christ is Applied to our lives by believing, by faith, uh, by uh, accepting and inviting him uh, and and thanking God and accepting God's gift to us in Christ. Uh, There is, the Bible says repeatedly, there is a way that seems right to people. There is a way that seems right to man, right? The end whereof is death. And that way is always the way of works, it's just uh, part of our sinful, fallen nature is that we think we're going to contribute something to our own salvation, and uh, and the Bible just would contradict that. And so, the law of Moses, it seems to me, in the Jewish nation, was misunderstood from the beginning. It was never intended to be a means by which people would attain the righteousness of God, but it was to be a means by which people would be driven to a Savior, to a Messiah. Uh, who is, in verse 4, the end of the law. That word end in the Greek language is telos, and uh, it has several meanings. It means fulfillment, it means achievement, it means completion, it means termination. Christ is the end of the law in that he fulfilled the law for us. He completed the law for us and uh, gave us this wonderful gift of salvation by faith. And Paul is the apostle of this great uh, message of salvation. It cannot be done by works. It cannot be done by being good. And it frustrates me because still the majority of people in the world, if you ask them about, you know, what do you think is going to happen to you after you die? uh, Almost everybody you run into will say, you know, that I'm going to heaven because some version of I'm a good person. And I, I just have to tell you, don't count on that because you are not good enough. Nobody is good enough. That's why Christ had to come. The only one who was ever able to fulfill the law and bring a, the, this uh, idea to an end was Jesus. And so I suggest to you that in verse 3, the issue is submission. And submission is an act of the will. Submission uh, to the ways and the ideas of God. Submission is a matter of the will. You know, the lack of knowledge on Israel's part in verse 2, and it says Israel has a zeal but not according to knowledge. The lack of knowledge, I would suggest to you, was a willful lack of knowledge. It's not like God didn't send prophet after prophet after prophet to reveal the truth. It's not like God didn't build into all of Israel's feasts and all of the, the priesthood and all of the sacrifices and, and all of the things that God built into the whole Jewish religion all pointed to Christ. I submit to you that it's a willing... It's a, it's a willing... uh unwilling submission so willful ignorance of um, all that God sought to put there Uh, oftentimes I think Jesus talks about this in the parables and uh, you know there are several parables that we could uh, draw from but one of them I think everybody's familiar with probably a lot of people's favorite is this story of the prodigal son you remember there's two uh, the father and he has two kids and And the younger son comes to him and he says, basically, you know, I don't want anything to do with you, but I want everything I can get from you. And then I just want to go live my life. And so he gets everything he can get and he goes off and he lives his life. And the father says of that son, my son is dead. That's how the father describes that son. My son is dead. The other son, of course, is, you know, being very conscientious, very conscious of uh, all the father's desires and wills and trying to uh, keep all the laws and so forth and, um, very conscientious, and he's, uh, the example of a Jewish Pharisee, and then you know how this thing plays out, right? Um, the son who the father says was dead, the Bible says, comes to his senses in Jesus' story. He came to his senses, and, uh, he returns home, and the father embraces him entirely by grace. This kid brings nothing to the table except shame, and, um, and the father embraces him, and they're reconciled. And then the father goes out to the other one who's done all everything right and uh, invites him to come in, pleads with him, in fact, the Bible said, pleads with him to come, but he didn't understand the father. He didn't understand the, the ways of God and the thoughts of God, and he refused to come. And so at the end of the story, you're, you're left kind of scratching your head, and you're saying to yourself, wow, the, the bad son who represents kind of the Gentile world You know, and the good son who represents the Pharisaic world of trying so hard to be good by God. And at the end of the day, the Gentiles are being reconciled and the Pharisees are left out in the cold, refusing to submit to the righteousness of God that comes by faith in the person of Jesus Christ, in spite of having every advantage all through their entire history. And again, I would simply point out in verse 4 that this is a universal offer. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Uh, Verse 11, as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Over and over again. Uh, This election of the Jewish nation to bring the Savior to the rest of the world uh, kicks in with the person of Christ. Uh, After Israel, I would submit to you that no one group of people is identified as the object of God's favor. It's no longer about the chosen race. Uh, With Christ's arrival, it's uh, that part of God's original promise to Abraham when he said all the nations of the world will be blessed through you kicks in. And this offer of salvation is given to all people. And so then in Romans 10, Paul goes back again to the Old Testament to show that with God, it's always been about faith. You might remember that the whole Jewish nation got started with Abraham. And the unique thing about Abraham, of course, was that he believed God, and God credited his belief as righteousness. And that was the basis of the seed thought that created the whole nation of Israel. And so the faith of Abraham was what uh, was key in um, his whole evolving into the nation of Israel. So Abraham certainly didn't live a perfect life according to the law. If you study his life, you realize he did several things that you know, didn't qualify him according to the law. But he believed God. He put his faith in God's word. So in verse 5... Um, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law: the man who does these things will live by them. What Paul is saying here is that Paul, uh, that Moses in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, God revealed His standards, and if you can live by, if you can do them, you can live by them. I think what Paul is saying is that it's theoretically possible to live by the law. However, it's practically impossible. Nobody's ever been able to do it except for Christ. And so um, what Paul is saying, you know, if you can do these things, well, then you can live by them. But obviously, you can't do them. And so um, uh, in humility, we come to the point when we study the law of saying, "I I can't make it by your standards. Nobody could do that. I can't live up to the way you created me to be. So then he goes on and he says, um, but the righteousness that is by faith, the righteousness that is by the law is like that. You you want to go for it. You live like this. You can live by it. You, you do these things. You can live by it. the righteousness that is by faith. Verse six says, don't say in your heart who will ascend, you know, into heaven. That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we're proclaiming. Now, this is a loose, if you keep your finger in Romans 10, go back to um, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30 we've been here before because Paul quotes from this section this is right before Israel is uh, the people of Israel are going to go into the promised land these are instructions that God gives and so forth and those words that I just read are from a loose translation I would say of Deuteronomy chapter 30 and if you go to Deuteronomy 30 uh, starting in verse 11 you'll see this is kind of a parallel passage. What I am, this is way back, you know, again, right before the people are going into the land. What I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we can obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you will have to ask who can cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we can obey it. <clears throat> no, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, uh, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands. Verse 17. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now, choose life. You choose so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. Paul is quoting this passage of Scripture, but you'll notice in Romans chapter 10 that instead of talking about the word of God, he talks about the living word of God, Christ. And so Paul says here in verse uh, 6, he says, The righteousness that's by faith doesn't say, don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. In the Old Testament, it's God's word down. In the New Testament, it's to bring Christ down. Well, why? Because Christ already came to us from heaven. Christianity is not about climbing a ladder to get to heaven. Christ came to us from heaven. And you don't have to go down into the deep. You don't have to die before you can find out what the truth is about the afterlife. Christ already went to death and died in our place for us in order that we might be relieved. And so he's quoting this, you know, the word of God that came from Moses was on the Jews' lips and in their hearts from the beginning. And what he's saying is that now the word of Christ is, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's on your heart. That is the word of faith that we're proclaiming do you believe the words of Christ do you believe what he's saying do you believe what he's doing do you believe that he's revealing who he is Paul substitutes Christ for God's word Uh, the righteousness that's by faith does not say I have to climb up into heaven because Christ came down from heaven he became one of us he got close to us he's near us he speaks our language he became a human being he became approachable His words are on our lips, at least at Christmas and Easter. People know that people have heard, right? And he already went to death for us. Jesus defeated death so that it's not about, uh, you know, having near-death experiences and finding out what's there and coming back so that we can know what's really going on. Christ is the Word of God. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And what God was really after back there in Deuteronomy was that people's hearts would be for him. He knew they weren't going to be perfect. But I want a heart that loves me and desires me. And God says, you can do this. Jesus said in John chapter 11 that if you believe me, you'll never really die. John chapter 11. So salvation, righteousness, is by faith. It's not about mystical visions of heaven uh, or uh, near-death experiences and any of that. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. Christ has revealed himself, revealed God to us. And the Holy Spirit is in the world convicting us about sin and righteousness and, and judgment. I say it's a willful ignorance that refuses the person of Christ. It's an effort on our part to refuse God's ways and God's thoughts that have been so uh, revealed through the nation of Israel, through the word of God, through the spirit of God. Uh, there is an unwilling to be submissive to the words of Christ and it results in the lack of salvation it results in the same thing that happened to Israel only a remnant believe and so all of these blessings only get applied to that remnant the gospel is straightforward it's available to all it's simple it's through Christ and it's the word of faith I love that in verse 8 what is Paul talking about? he's talking about the word of faith what is the word of faith? Well, you're probably all familiar with Romans 10, 9, and 10. And uh, this is kind of like the deal. This is what so many Israelites would not do. And here's the bottom line, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And verse 10 is kind of an affirmation. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. It's with the heart that you believe and then are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You always talk about what you really believe. Oh, What comes out of your mouth is what you really believe. It's just about anything, right? You always talk about what you really believe. And so here's the two, I say, non-negotiable absolutes. And, and what so many people in Israel refuse to do is acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? It means that he's God. It's the same name that was applied in the Old Testament scriptures for God. If you will confess that Jesus is God, that he came from heaven, that uh, he shares God's name, he shares God's nature, that he uh, has the authority of God, that Jesus' word is God's word, that the power, the majesty, the eternity of God is in Christ. To confess Jesus as Lord is to acknowledge that we belong to him, that he's our Lord, that we exist, you know, to uh, be a part of his kingdom, uh, which is an eternal kingdom, and that we recognize him as the only begotten son of the living God, the only God, the creator God. Uh, To acknowledge Jesus as Lord is, is the place to start. Who is Jesus Christ? And then to believe in your heart, Uh, Paul says that God raised him from the dead, that death has been defeated, uh, that death is not what it looks like, that death is not the limit of your life, that there is an afterlife, uh, because, you know, believing in an eternity changes all of your living from that point forward. The minute you believe that there is an eternal life on the other side of this life, it conditions what's important to you in this temporary life. And it has a tremendous effect on... um, You know, the way we live and the choices we make, the values we embrace, and so on. And Paul says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And then again, uh, in verse 10, he confirms that. And again, I would say this is a universal offer. Uh, Notice in verse 11, as the scripture says, anybody who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's a quote from um, Isaiah chapter 28. Again, Paul is quoting all these Old Testaments because he's talking to the Jewish people. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 28, uh, Christ is mentioned there as the cornerstone. And I think any Mason would understand what a cornerstone is. But you lay the cornerstone first and all the other stones, all the other bricks, all the other cinder blocks have to line up with the cornerstone in order that you can build anything. Otherwise, everything will be all out of whack. And Jesus is the cornerstone, and if our lives do not line up with his, if we, don't, if we aren't in sync with the cornerstone, uh, then we won't be a part of the building uh, that God is making. And so, um, you know, the first cornerstone has to be in place, and it's Christ. And uh, not only that, verse 12, uh, you know, I love this. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile from that point forward. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. From that point forward, it really doesn't matter. Uh, The advantage that uh, we have with God comes to us through Christ. And then finally, Paul quotes um, uh, the Old Testament prophet Joel uh, in order to show that, look, this is the way it's always been. Uh, Verse 13 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord uh, will be saved. That's a quote from the uh, prophet Joel. And if you go back there again, it's by faith that people are related to God that you trust him, that you take him at his word. And at this point, his word is the living word. It's Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. And as Paul said, one of two things will happen with Jesus in everybody's life. He will either cause you to fall. You will stumble and fall over uh, refusing to submit to him. Uh, This is back at the end of chapter 9. You see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Jesus Christ will either trip you up and you'll fall in the presence of God, or if you embrace him and believe him and put your faith in him, he will enable you to stand in the very presence of God for all of eternity. He is the cornerstone. He is the, uh, he is the stumbling block. And just as it was with Israel, So many people refuse to believe. Remember in Isaiah 53, Isaiah asks, you know, Lord, who believes our report? And he talks about Christ in that whole chapter. Jesus is the cornerstone. You will either line up with him and embrace him and stand as a part of God's eternal kingdom, or you will trip and fall over him by refusing to submit uh, to who he is, to what he's done, and to what he says. Praise be to God for the way that he chooses to reveal himself through the nation of Israel and the lessons that God invites us to learn as we study the history of that nation and we think about what has happened all down through the years even to the present day and the faithfulness of God in order to bring the Savior into the whole entire world that we might come to know him and embrace him. And so um, I pray that we would learn a lesson of Romans chapter 10, that we would not make the same mistake and refuse to submit to the righteousness of God that's provided to us by faith in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law for all who would believe. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, I just uh, I think about this great book of Romans and uh, how it's all put together, and right in the center is this great series of lessons from the nation of Israel your chosen people and as I think father about the history and, and the, you tell us that we should study the history of Israel and learn from them and and that we should uh, be able to understand how you relate to people and what you were doing in bringing Christ into the world our Savior and I think father way beyond all that we even uh, can appreciate Uh, This great salvation, this righteousness, this being right with you through faith in Jesus Christ is such a huge gift, such a marvelous gift, such a life-changing gift. It's our hope. It's our confidence. It's our future. It's our eternity. It's our living without guilt. It's our freedom. It's everything. it's, It's the spirit of the living God coming and dwelling within us through this great salvation that you've provided. Help us, Father, never to cheapen it. By trying to add something to it or take anything away from it. But instead, help us to put our faith squarely and solidly on the person and the work and the words of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.